box will work. Really? Okay, not any box. Much better. Okay, so now you have your empty box. Now you can pick the age range, and if you want it to be for a boy or a girl. Okay, come on, please be a boy. Please be a boy? Well, looks like we're gonna be packing for a boy this year. First, you can choose a wow item, such as a soccer ball, or a stuffed animal. Mm. And you can choose other fun toys, too. Hygiene items, and school supplies. There are, of course, some items you cannot pack, like liquids, food, items related to war, live animals, and don't even think about packing chocolate because it melts. No candy and no toothpaste. When your gift is finished, you can write a letter and include a photo. It gives it a nice personal touch. When your boss is done, you can make your shipping donation online through Follow Your Box. Simply print off your tracking label to see where the destination of your gift will be. And don't forget, it's important to pray for the child that is receiving this gift. Because packing a box is a simple way to share the gospel with kids all around the world. Maybe even in mid in Africa. Now that your box is done, it's time to get moving. Transport your box to a nearby drop-off location near you. These will be open all across the U.S. on National Collection Week, the third week in November. Drop it off and voila, you. Pack the shoebox. Easy as one, two, three. See you on National Collection Week! All right, good morning. So it's that time again of the year to pack shoeboxes, and hopefully that was clear uh, to you, but uh, if there are questions about what you, what you do or dates or things like that, uh, Emma will be available to answer that after the service. We have some boxes out in the, in the foyer for you guys to, uh, to pick up and get started. With that, if you'll please stand with us this morning.
song uh it just talks about our god he's he's the lamb that came and died on the cross but he's the king that reigns forever uh he's he's the the lion of judah and uh we we have the opportunity now to bow down and worship him uh and and spend eternity with him or it says one day every knee and every tongue will confess that he is lord it's it's better to do that on this side of eternity uh i'm, I'm glad that you're with us this morning especially if you are some of our guests um, yeah, yay, that's right, especially if you are some of our guests, and we'd love to, to have you, love to know a little bit more about you, if you have, there's, if you have a bulletin, there's a tear out in your bulletin, you can fill that in, we'd uh, love to know how to get in touch with you, how to minister to you, place that in the, in the offering plate, uh, or you can give it to a minister at the end of the service at, at the door, um, but just, uh, I know that you got an email uh, this week, if you're our home folks, that, that talked a little bit about uh, Miss, Miss Carolyn, I'll address some of that at the end of the service. Uh, but right now, uh, I want you to find someone and uh, let them know that you're excited to be in, in God's house this morning. Shake their hand and let them know that, that you're excited to see them.
worshiping you through our tithes and offerings. We just pray, Lord, that you would take them and bless them, dear Father and Lord, that be used wisely for the ongoing work of the church here in this community. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.
right, kids, I wonder if you would join me up here this morning for a children's sermon. Is. You want to give it a shot? Tim, what is courage? Courage, it takes courage to speak into the microphone, doesn't it? Does anybody, what is, what is courage? All right, I'll come over there. What is courage? Okay, all right, that's good. Like when some of your friends are sad and you got to encourage them up to be happy. Hey, good job, good job. Yeah, well, you, you kind of jumped to point number two on where I was. So uh, so we'll just we'll just go with that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think about people that need courage, and, and maybe that was an easier question was, what are some, who are some people that might need courage? Um, I think about... Uh, our folks that serve in the military or maybe a fireman, do you think that takes courage? Yeah, it takes courage. That's right, that's right. Uh, people, uh, maybe your, your teachers, that takes courage. Uh, there's, 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 there's a lot of folks that need courage, but I like what you said because this is, this is what I really wanted to get to today was that uh, you see somebody that you think might need courage, and so how do you help them? Well, you... You place courage in them, and that's that's a that's a little play on words there that you encourage someone. That's what I really wanted to talk about. It's that we are to be encouragers, and so we say things to people, and we try to encourage them. That is, if they're feeling sad, like Eli just talked about, you try to say things to make them make them more joyful, or maybe somebody's just scared about doing something, and you encourage them that that they should go ahead. This is a good thing. Go ahead and go ahead and do it. Uh, and we and we say things of appreciation to each other. We we say thank you, and we just that's what it means to be an encourager, is to help someone else have courage to face whatever it is that they're facing. And so, I like I like that word. I think well, encourage. What does that really mean? It means that I help you have courage. That I encourage you. Does that make sense? Not really. Okay. Well. It, it, takes, it takes courage to do a lot of difficult things. And one of the things that we can do, sometimes we don't, we don't have courage. Maybe people around us don't have the courage to do it. We encourage them to do some of those hard things that we know they ought to do. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group of children who are here this morning and for their families that bring them to church. Lord, uh, help us to have... Help us to have courage, but help us also to be encouragers, that we would encourage each other. We would speak good things to each other. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand again.
got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 18. We'll be reading God's Word there. And if you got somebody on your row that's not from the south, you might have to tell them what yonder means. That's a good, that's a good southern word. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them and being of the same occupation stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. For now I will go on to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. I pray that you speak through it and speak through me today. Give us open hearts and open ears to hear a message from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I feel like we need to review just a little bit to see where we are, to, to how we got to this point in the book of Acts. If you'll remember, we opened up in the, in the book of Acts, Jesus is, a, is, Jesus is ascending to the right hand of the Father to take his claim as king and, and, and to be seated there and enthroned as, as king, as the king of kings. Well, shortly thereafter, as he promised, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost and, and fell upon the church and, and the, uh, the believers in Jerusalem, well, they they began to speak and proclaim this message of, of Jesus Christ, and, and, and they began to form the, the first church there in Jerusalem. But there, there came persecution upon them, and the, the as, as persecution happened, many of the people scattered. Uh, many of the people scattered. It's, the Bible tells us that the apostles remained in Jerusalem, uh, and, and you'll remember even the story of Stephen. Stephen was, was, was dragged outside and, and, and stoned, uh, but like I said, many of them fled. And it's almost a fulfilling of the prophecy that was, that was proclaimed in Acts 1.8 that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as, as the believers are scattered, they, take, they carry this message with them. You'll remember Philip, Philip and, and the eunuch as he shared the gospel with the Ethiopian there. Uh, and some of the main characters, Peter and John, are some of the main characters that, that we encounter. And they, and they go about their day and they, they share the gospel. Peter even has a vision. Peter has a vision that he's to take the gospel, he's to take this message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so, right about the same time, he meets Cornelius, and his family uh, becomes believers, and their whole family is baptized. And so, we, we see all of this happening, but there becomes a, a, a transition point because there's this new character, Saul, that, that's entered into the picture. And Saul is on his way to Damascus, and he's on his way there to persecute the, the Christians there, to arrest them, maybe to even kill some or, or lead some to their, their deaths. 
But as he's on his way, a bright light, uh, he sees a bright light from the heavens and he falls down on the road and he hears a voice and he encounters Jesus Christ right there on the road. He goes, in, he, goes in, he goes on into the town and he meets Ananias who prays over him. The scales fall from his eyes, which I think are not only literal, but there's also some figurative ideas there. He's, he once was blind, but now he sees. And he is, to be, he is to be the mouthpiece of God to the Gentiles. And so what we, what we see in the book of Acts now is Peter and John begin to kind of fade into the background and Saul, who's also called Paul, begins to rise as a primary character. And he's taken the gospel. He has, some, he has some companions along the way, but he's taken the gospel to the Greek world, although, although they're under Roman rule at this point, but he's taken the, the gospel to the Greek world, and eventually we'll see he'll, he'll take it all the way, all the way to Rome. Uh, but what we have here, this is really his second mission. This is his second missionary journey. And so if you want to pause in the book of Acts and flip over to the maps and you, you want to follow along with me, you, you can do that. But I want to recap his, his mission journey for, for just a minute. He goes on the second journey. He goes up to the Greek mainland, uh, which is Macedonia. And if you remember there, he, he is encountered, he, he's followed by a demon-possessed girl for several days. And he, he proclaims to the demon and he casts out the demon. And then there's a riot that ensues and he and Silas are beaten and thrown into jail. And so along the way, he's proclaiming the gospel. He's, he's, uh, he, he encounters a lot of conflict. He's, they're beaten and thrown into jail, miraculously rescued. But they move on to Thessalonica, and they see some success there, but that's followed also by them being forced out of town. And so they're forced out of town, and so they go to the town of Berea. And as they're there, yes, they see some success. They even encounter a group of people that studied, that studied the scriptures daily. But guess what followed them? Those who were persecuting them followed them, and they were persecuted again. And then they moved on into Athens. As they moved to Athens, we talked the last several weeks about what took place in Athens. And he sees, he sees idolatry, this, this rampant there in Athens. And he proclaims uh, the gospel to them as, as he, he uses the unknown God to proclaim, uh, to, to proclaim Jesus Christ. Uh, but really, he has some success there again, but he's practically ignored in Athens. So he moves on now to Corinth. He's moved on into Corinth. To understand the situation that he finds himself in, we really need to understand some of the background on Corinth. And so let me just tell you a little bit about the, the, the old city of, of Corinth. It was a commerce center. If, if, in the, if in the Greek kind of world, Athens was an intellectual center, Ephesus was a banking center, uh, here, Corinth was a, was a commercial hub. And so uh, it, was, it was an interesting location because it was, it was uh, seated on an isthmus. I've said that once. I don't want to say that word anymore. But it was situated on a narrow strip of land between two, pieces, but, but between two larger pieces of land and two bodies of water. And so it was a, it was a funnel for north-south trade routes. So a lot of, a lot of folks coming through. And I'll tell you why I'm sharing all this in just a minute. But it's also a hub for east and west trade routes because it was a narrow part, maybe like three and a half miles wide at its narrowest uh, point. And so ships would come in, ships would come in and they'd have cargo. And they'd take that cargo and, and put it on, they had some transportation type thing, and they put it on the ground and it becomes a shipment. And it goes all the way to the other port where they put it on a ship and it becomes cargo again. 
And the English language is lovely like that, right? But so there were, there were two ports there. Uh, it, was, it was a commercial hub, a lot of trade. And one commentator says, Paul must have been thinking, if trade could radiate from Corinth, so could the gospel. If trade could radiate from Corinth, so could the gospel. But that's not all. That's not all that we know about Corinth. There was also an infamous temple, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, with a thousand or more female slaves that served at the temple daily and who roamed the streets at night. And with two ports, there were a lot of sailors in the town. In fact, to be religious might be to serve the servants of the temple if you understand what I'm saying. And so it became, Corinth became synonymous with immorality. To say that someone was Corinthianized meant that they were full on into sexual immorality. And Paul was about to take the gospel here. And what we see is that he didn't do this he didn't do this necessarily really happy. I'm not saying he wasn't joyful, but he wasn't skipping into Corinth. We can see this as he wrote letters later back to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3 says this, When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I did not think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then listen to verse 3. I came to you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. Paul says he came to them with fear and trembling. You can, you, can, you can probably understand why. Because if he's proclaiming the cross of Christ to them, it undermines really the entire society. It undermines maybe the pride that they had as being from a great city. It undermines all of the other activities, like I said, that may be taking place during the night. The cross of Christ does so. In fact, Johnny Hunt quotes from, from John Phillips, another commentator and pastor, and says this about Corinth. At Corinth, Paul had come to a ripened harvest field. There had been very little to reap in Athens. The soil was poor there, for intellectualism and high-sounding nonsense spoiled the harvest. But here at Corinth, here at Corinth, in the filth capital of the world, were many hungry hearts. There were lonely people, people disillusioned by pleasure and worldliness, people who had drunk from Satan's broken cisterns and poisoned wells, desperate people, people who were not only lost, but who knew they were lost. Listen, there were sailors, tired of lives of drunkenness and debauchery. There were broken women, the cast-offs of temples where sin was their daily bread. There were successful businessmen whose money could buy them everything but happiness. There were housewives struggling for a decent home, a decent home life in a city that is as foul as Sodom. There were young people whose ideals had been blighted by the diseased state of society in which they lived, and there were those who were disgusted alike by heathen religion and Jewish hardness and hypocrisy. You see, Paul did not enter into the land of Oz or some happy other world. He entered into a very dark and depraved city. 
but Paul saw a good bit of success in this city. And I asked the question, why? How is it that he wasn't as successful in Berea, where the people searched the scriptures? Did he see some success? Yes, he did. How was it that he wasn't as successful in Athens? It doesn't seem he was because, yes, some people came to know the Lord, but it seemed they were indifferent to him, and he faced persecution. But what, what I read to you at the end of this passage is that here in Corinth, he stayed with the people a year and a half. It seems to me that he's, he's gotten much more success in Corinth, a city full of debauchery, a dark city. So why? Why does he have success in Corinth? I believe the first, the first idea is that hungry people are looking for food. It's the hungry who are looking for something to eat. Listen, here's some questions. Who hears but the one who is listening? And who listens but the one desperate for good news? Who finds but the one who seeks? And who seeks but the one that is desperate for fulfillment? You see, the people there were starving for something. They were starving for something, and Paul knew what that was. Look, I don't believe that God is more appealing to the destitute and the downtrodden. I don't believe he's more appealing to them at all. It's just that for whatever reason, those who have been beaten down or those who are desperate, they just happen to be more open oftentimes to, and, and more open and receptive to the goodness of God. Look, it's the thirsty. It's the really thirsty that long for a sip of water. It's the hungry that desire just a bite of bread. And I would say this to you. If the difficult moments in your life and the difficult moments of my life if they cause us to turn back to God, to, go to grow closer in our relationship with him, here's the question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, no one longs for the pain. No one desires to face difficulties or trials. But if the pain is what pushes us back to God, if it pushes us back to the greater good, which is God, then perhaps... Perhaps we can begin to understand what James writes in that we should count our trials as joyous. But on the other hand, think of the man that's living the good life, never truly knowing hunger or thirst, and may never see his need for God. And therefore, this man goes about his happy, merry, ignorant way. Because though he doesn't see a need for God, that need is great indeed. Because we all need God. We all need God. You see, to speak of thirst and hunger, I think about Jesus being at the well and talking about filling with some thirst and talking to the woman. He's thirsty, he needs some water. But then he talks about water that you'll never thirst again. And then there's 5,000 men and who, who knows how many other folks that day when all they have is some bread and some fish and he feeds 5,000 because their stomachs are hungry. But then the next day, he tells them something else on the bread of life. You see, that physical thirst and the physical hunger, I believe, clue us into something that's much deeper, something that's, that's much stronger. There's a, there's a thirst and there's a hunger that goes much deeper than the pit of our stomachs. It goes right to our very souls, this hunger within our souls. I believe it's there. And there's a couple of things that, that could be said about it this morning. Maybe there are more, but just two right now. 
What can be said about this hunger? First of all, it's universal. This hunger in the, in the soul is universal. It comes to everyone. Everybody understands this hunger. And I believe that's evidenced by the fact that so many people try to fill it. We attempt to satisfy this hunger in our souls with work or education, uh, maybe our families or just an adventure, notoriety, just striving for that good life. We try to fill that hunger that's in our souls. And they all fail. Maybe they're temporary, but they all fail. And the fact, the fact is they're destined to fail because it's a temporary satisfaction for an eternal longing. And it will never satisfy, which is the second point. If the first point is this hunger of our souls is universal, the second point is nothing in this world can satisfy that hunger. Nothing in this world will satisfy that hunger. This is the conclusion that's reached by the author of Ecclesiastes. When the, uh, the, uh, the author opens up and he says this in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile. Or maybe the version you have says vanity. All is vanity. What does a man gain for all his efforts? that he labors at under the sun. And he goes through and describes all of his attempts, all of his attempts under the sun. And you get to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and you read this at the very end. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. And that's it. Striving after the wind... It's all futile. It's all vanity. Nothing in this world will satisfy the hunger that's in your soul. <clears throat> if the soul is eternal, and I believe it is, then why should I suspect that anything temporal would be the solution? And this, this is the way of the ignorant. I said earlier that the man striving for the good life goes about his happy, ignorant way because he doesn't understand. C.S. Lewis writes, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I believe that. And I believe the solution to our desires is another realm. It's a spiritual world. It's our Father. It's God, it's Jesus Christ who comes to us. And that, the bread of life, the living water, satisfies the hunger, the thirst of our soul. So why did, why did Paul find success in Corinth? I believe in part that he encountered a people that were searching, they were seeking, they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They realized that they needed something. And he had what they needed. The desperate are looking to fill soul's hunger. How do we fill that? How do we fill that hunger? How do we fill it? By God's grace. By God's grace. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble regardless of our social status. So I talked about talking, you know, I started out talking about the destitute, the downtrodden that may be hungry or thirsty or or, or seeking for something in this world but the truth is regardless of our social status that hunger in the soul can come to anybody 
And God gives grace to the humble, regardless of our social status. And that's what we're in desperate need of, grace. God's grace. What do the destitute need, the downtrodden? They need grace. What about those that have it all together? They need grace. What about those of us that maybe pretend we have it all together? We need grace. We need grace. And to receive it, we must humble ourselves, recognizing our need, and then plead to the only one who can satisfy it to do so. We come before the Lord and we plead on, God, I'm a sinner and I, I got nothing to offer. I just need your grace. Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Are you listening for it? Are you desperate for the goodness of God? You know, the psalmist, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just a taste, just a little taste to see that the Lord is good. Man, I, I remember my mama baking sometimes, and man, I just want to dip my finger into the mixing bowl and just get a little taste, just a little taste to see how good it is. Just taste and see the Lord is good. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe it's been a long time since you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. But just a little taste. Just a little taste of the Lord. It's good. So why success in Corinth? First of all, it was rotten with sin. But hungry people looked to be fed. Thirsty looked to be quenched. And lost people looked for salvation. But that's not all. That's not all. Why the success in Corinth? Well, he also had the encouragement of his companions. Man, I went through everything earlier, and he'd been beaten up, literally beaten, and tossed into prison. Encouragement of companions. So even though we know that the Lord is good, there are times, there are days, when the best theology in the world has to put on street clothes, if you will, and walk through what you might describe as hell on earth. The heart tests the mind and the will. We're walking through, our, our hearts are heavy. Maybe we have an iron will, but our, our minds are preoccupied. And we say, well, what's going to win out here? What's going to win out? And days like these are when we need those friends, and, and friends become so precious to us. They lift you in prayer, send a word of encouragement, just like I was sharing with the, the children a moment ago. Or maybe they simply take time for you. They make time for you. I've heard other people describe friends like this as Jesus with skin on them. <laughs> because they, they come and they bring a word of encouragement. This is what Paul had. Verses 1 through 4 describe Aquila and Priscilla as they came and they were co-laborers with him. And then as you move on to verse 5, you see that Silas and Timothy, his faithful friends, came alongside him and encouraged him and together... They, they shared the good news with those in Corinth. Listen, you've probably heard me tell this story before, but, but I love it. <clears throat> a few years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to go on a ski trip, and this particular trip, Micah was just learning how to, how to ski and, and get up and, and go down uh, some of the slopes on his own. And so Lindsay and I thought towards the end of one day we were going to take him up to the mountain and go on this long, nice, green, gentle slope and just... Just watch him and be, you know, be excited with him as he skis. And at the base of the mountain, it was nice. It was pretty. As we're on our way up, as we're going up on the, on the, on the lift, all of a sudden the wind picks up a little bit. 
and there's there's snow coming down. It's hard to see. It's hard to even see the lift uh, the, the the lift chair in in front of us as we get off the mountain. I'm telling you, the wind is blowing really really hard, and there was no there was no debating about what we needed to do. We just had to keep going. And so Lindsay Lindsay went first, and she led, and Mike came in by, uh, behind her, and I, and I followed up maybe to pick up anything that fell along the way. Um, <clears throat> But we got down and we got and, and and we turned one corner and there's nothing to keep the wind from blowing it. It it's tough. I don't even know how Lindsay saw where the mountain was, but I'm glad she did and didn't see us going off the, any other side of the mountain. And we got down to one little spot. We got down to one spot where there were some trees and some cover and the wind was calm just a little bit. Micah's face was as red as mine because I sat out in the sun yesterday. Um, and uh, I could tell that he was hurting. Because I was hurting a little bit too. But there was, there was nothing we could do. There was nothing we could do except to keep going. And so I said, man, if, if we just keep going. I said, I, I apologize. We didn't know the weather was like this up here. But as soon as we get to the warming house, we'll get down there. We'll get some hot chocolate. You're doing good. We just got to keep going. And uh, tried to share some encouragement with him. And he did. He made it. I would never want to take one of my children through that again. But I love what happened afterwards. And we were able to sit down and share some time together as a, as a family. Encouragement can become so vital to us. As a pastor and a minister of the gospel, I've really come to realize the importance of fellow laborers and encouragers in my own life. Listen, though, though Corinth was ripe for the harvest, it was still a very daunting task for Paul. He needed his companions. And I just wonder, I wonder how long he would have stayed. Would he have stayed a year and six months had it not been for his companions? I just wonder. Well, listen, we here at Northside, I believe we are a band of believers. And I'm incredibly grateful for my fellow laborers. I think of Curtis and Ann, Mark and, and Truman, the deacon body, my youth workers. I think about the Awana leaders, the upward coaches, refs, and commissioners. I think about committee members, church officers, Sunday school teachers. I think about our security team, our ushers, our greeters. I think about those who lead us in music and care for the kitchen. Think about those who pray, tithe, who encourage me and others in our work. Think about my family, especially my wife, Lindsay, who knows me better than anybody else here today, and she still loves me and supports me. We're a band of believers, and it's important, it's important to have that encouragement of each other. But the third thing I want to point out, why the success in Corinth, I want to read verses 9 and 10 one more time. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Well, the third thing that brought success was the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. And I ask you this, can you think back to moments in your life where you are overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord. 
I think back, I think back to my calling into ministry. Um, to 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 try to put this into a short into a short episode is 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 a daunting task. But I had been uh, I had been a, a youth ministry intern, been a youth ministry intern at a, at a church, and a few months after I had uh, gone back to to school. Found out that one of the boys there, one of the high school seniors, had been in a single car accident, and a couple weeks after that, uh, he had he had died. And I had gone back to that church a handful of times to just be with the be with the kids and, and try to minister there. I wasn't their youth pastor, but I had been there that you know the summer before. Um, and I remember praying in my room. I remember in my apartment that night, the night that I had heard that. That Andy had died, um, and I was just—I was praying, Lord, what in the world is going on? Why did this happen? And what—what's—what's what's my purpose in all this? And for a long time, a long time, I felt like what must have been Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And and finally, finally, I said, "All right, Lord, I know you're calling me to ministry." So I submit to that call. And there are times, I had a professor tell me this one time, he said there are times when you'll need to remember that call to ministry even more than you remember the day that you were saved. And I thought he was, I thought he was foolish for saying something like that. But there are times when I need to remember my call to ministry. I, I, don't, I don't question my salvation. I hadn't questioned my salvation in a long time. But there are times I need to remember my call into ministry. And I remember the Lord's presence was with me so strong that night. I remember the Lord was with me. There have been times when, uh, there have been, been other times when I, when I got up and, and, and spoke at my grandmother's funeral and, and shared scripture uh, and, and talked a little bit about her life and, and prayed at my grandmother's funeral. I, I could not do that except I knew that the Lord's presence was with me. There have been times in my own prayer life uh, it's, it's not every day that I feel this way, okay? I'm, these, these are very special moments. I know the Lord is with me. It, you know, I know the Lord is with me when I open up his word and when I pray. But there have been times in my prayer life when I just knew, I felt like Jesus was sitting right next to me. And I almost could reach out and touch him. There have been those times. Maybe visiting a hospital. There have been times when I just knew the presence of the Lord was in that room. And I ask you, do you have those moments that you can look back on and realize there's not a doubt. The Lord was in my presence. So I just want to encourage you today. Three things we can take from this, this passage. First of all, share. Share. What, what can we do as, as Northside? What can we do as, as a band of believers? What can you do individually? Share. Take the light of the gospel to a dark and depraved world. That's what Paul was doing. Also, encourage be an encouragement to others, as Paul would say later, especially to the household of faith. Be an encouragement. And then also to rest. And I will give you rest. Rest in the presence of the Lord. Seek his presence and allow him to give you that living water and to be the bread of life. Share the gospel. Encourage others. Rest in the Lord. And just maybe... Just maybe, we'll see success. But I know, I know we'll be doing what the Lord has asked us to do.
Let's pray. Father, I come to you today, and I thank you for the example of Paul. Uh, Lord, and I thank you for Luke who recorded this for us. This passage, when I first read it, it just seemed like it was just background information. But Lord, there's important things here. There's important aspects. We understand Corinth. The depraved city that it was was desperate for some good news. And oh, there was Paul who shared Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Lord, uh, he, he got pushed back along the way. He was beaten up. He was, uh, he was jailed. He was imprisoned. He got pushed back from the folks in Corinth even. But thank you for those that came along and encouraged him and supported him. We need support, and we need to encourage and support others. And Father, let us never forget that we don't do this on our own. We don't work in our own flesh, but we come and we work by the Spirit of the, of the, of the living God working in us. So Father, I don't know where people are today. Maybe they can't look back and remember any moment where they felt the close presence of the Lord. Today can be that day. They can come to salvation today and come to know you and your presence. Father, maybe someone here just needs to be an encourager. Father, maybe we need to just be more vocal in sharing the gospel. Maybe it's something else. As you speak to, the, to our hearts, may we listen and respond and obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I would ask if you would please stand. We've got a song here, a time of, of dedication, um, and uh, just listen to the Lord, however he's leading you. If he's leading to, unto salvation, I'd love for you to come, let's talk about that. Maybe, maybe you're looking to join a, a church, maybe Northside's a place for you. Come down, let's, let's talk about what that looks like, uh, whatever it might be, as, as the Lord leads, you follow. you're glad you got to worship in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to ask you if you will just to be seated for, for just a minute. Um, want it, just, just in case you did not receive the email, I just wanted to, to give you this. We uh, lost a dear saint this week. 
uh, Miss Carolyn Edgeworth. You know, we've been praying for her for quite some time. September 1st last year, she was diagnosed with, with cancer and given three to three or four months to live. And so uh, the Lord uh, has, has been strong by her side. And um, man, what a, what a faithful uh, and just full of grace. And just, we got to see her for about three months as she was able to, to be here. Uh, just just a few weeks ago, uh, but tomorrow her, her funeral is tomorrow. The visitation and the funeral will be at, at McCoon uh, Funeral Home downtown. A visitation is at two, and the funeral is at three. Uh, there will be a graveside following that at Forest Lawn. Uh, I do want to mention that we're gonna we're gonna feed the family tomorrow evening, and so uh, you know our, our ladies have cleaned out the kitchen. There are a lot of items on some some tables in there, and so this is your last chance if. You want something that's on one of those tables to, to claim it as, as yours because we need to get it cleaned up for the family tomorrow. Um, so we'll be cleaning out the fellowship hall and get ready for that. Um, all right. Uh, Ms. Lindsay, will you come and join me here for just a minute? Um, this is Lindsay Morris. Uh, many of you know her. She's been singing in our choir for quite some time and, and been a part of uh, been doing some uh, working with Awana. And so, but she is coming to officially join uh, Northside Baptist Church and make that her church home. Uh, if you are in agreement with that, let me just hear a hearty amen. amen. All right, thank you. And uh, of course, the daughter of, of Bill and, and Debbie, but she's going to join by, by letter from First Baptist Church, Mount Dora, Florida. And so uh, she's completed our, our class and, and uh, like I said, desires to join our fellowship here as well. And so, uh, Brian Lucas is our uh, deacon of the week, and he'll be your, your deacon. Um, and uh, So I just want to ask Brian if you'll come up and lead us in a word of prayer. And you come by and let Lindsay know that you are excited she's here and welcome her into our family. All right. If you'll please stand with me. <clears throat> One more announcement before we, uh, we close. You should have received an email at the beginning of October that October is Staff Appreciation Month. Actually, every month is Staff Appreciation Month, but this is the month we put on the calendar to uh, uh, especially um, uh, to note the, the work and, and the effort and, and everything that our staff does uh, for us here at Northside. So uh, last week and this week and in the service, we were taking a, a love offering uh, for them. So this is your last chance uh, to give. There will be deacons at the back uh, to collect money for that. And uh, just to let you know, our staff is BJ, Curtis, Ann, Kim and Melinda. So the funds that, that uh, you give will be taken up and, and divided amongst them. Uh, if money's not the only way you can encourage them, we talked about encourage this meant this morning. Um, just a hug, a smile, a handshake, a, a letter, uh, just words of appreciation and, and affirmation uh, to any and all of them uh, would be appreciated. So with that, let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for this day and, and just for being in our presence. Uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for uh, the word we heard this morning uh, from Paul, and we, d we just pray that, dear God, we will not be so easily satisfied, but that uh, we'll have a deep hunger uh, for you and a longing for you and, and uh, to have your word and, uh, proclaimed in our community and, and in the world and, and to have the lost uh, come to know you. Dear God, we do uh, thank you for our staff, and uh, we just pray that we can uh, show them how we appreciate them and, and how much they, they do for us. Um, we thank you for the one that 
uh, has joined this morning. We pray that you will uh, bless Lindsay, and we pray that you will bless uh, Northside um, through her presence uh, in this body. In Jesus' name I pray.